This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to drop in with a few announcements. Starting this Thursday, we're going to start a new monthly bonus episode. And this week's episode, it does disappoint. It's Alyssa Van Langeveld, child psychologist who talks about spending just 10 minutes with our kids can make a huge impact on the needle from that dad you are today to that dad we talk about being in the future. We dive into a lot of different areas around that 10 minutes from punishment to how it can shape your kid's emotional regulation of how they deal with things. And we're going to continue the conversation on that bonus episode on our blog throughout the month. So be sure to join in, comment, and if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to stay up to date. Next, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And it would help us climb in the ratings and bring this message to even more dads and help even more dads come home. Looking into the future, we've got even some bigger rock stars coming on the show, like this week's episode with David, who has a story you almost can't believe. And it took, my, took me to a world I haven't even known before. That's good because so much of what we are missing in a society is depth to our views. The more depth that we have, the more insights and wisdom we can provide. That's all I have. Now on with the show. And again, thank you for being a continued supporter of the Military Veteran Dad podcast. Today on the show, we have David Mike. He is a Christ follower, husband, father, blogger, author of Dishonor, One Soldier's Journey from Desertion to Redemption, and he currently is a cosmetology instructor in Omaha, Nebraska. David is passionate about sharing the message that we do not have to be defined by our past and that God can use our mess for good. David, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Go ahead and describe what your family looks right now and any gaps in that intro that you want to fill in this. Uh, well, I've been married to my wife for 20 years uh, this month, actually. So we just celebrated uh, our 20th anniversary. Um, we have three beautiful daughters and I have an 18-year-old college student. I'm sorry, a 19-year-old college student, <laughs> um, a 16-year-old high school sophomore and an eight-year-old eight second grader. Um, I also have a set of 20-year-old twins from a previous marriage that live in Colorado. Um, but uh, currently, I teach cosmetology. Um, I teach people how to cut hair. And uh, I'm also an author of a book. It's a memoir uh, of my uh, dishonorable past uh, from my military career. So. And I've, I've been uh, reading about it. I was about halfway through before our interview. And it's, uh, it's a real world of, of story that I've almost never had anything come close to my life living in just the Southern Wisconsin here as a farm boy. Like a lot of your story is just, uh, just something I've never had to experience in my life for good. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, it was also of 
for me, like I was just looking through the, your eyes of how your life shaped you from where you are today and the dad you are today and how far you've come from that person that I was reading about in the book. When you hear the words come home for any stage of your life, what, what stage or what do those words mean to you today as, as a father, a husband, what you've reflected on, what you've gone through in your past? Well, currently, uh, you know, in the day and age of technology, being present and attentive is a struggle. Um, you know, we've got our cell phones that pretty much absorb our lives, and it's a common uh, theme and a norm in our society today. So just uh, being intentional about gauging with each other would be um, what coming home means to me. Um, on a, in a different aspect, I would say also um, we have a saying at our church uh, that real is better than perfect. And that means that, I mean, obviously you're not going to run around being a mess your entire life, but being open about your scars, your past, and the things that you've been through can help, um, like my family and the people that I interact with, like that cosmetology school, uh, know that nobody's perfect and it's okay, uh, that we all have issues and situations from our past that, that don't have to define us and that we can move forward from there, uh, depending on, you know, where we're at in life. So. Uh, my goal is to be a mentor, not only to my children and, you know, to be an awesome husband, husband to my wife as best that I can, because we are all, you know, men are not always the best at that, um, yeah. but also a mentor to the cosmetology students that I teach. You're, in your book, you talk about the, your, that your parents lived in Germany while most of the time that you were serving here in the United States. What did coming home mean to you back then? Or what did it mean when you remember your dad coming back from deployments or even when he just came home from the day? when you were a kid? Um, I remember my dad being gone some. He was home, uh, you know, also, but, you know, there was different uh, schools that you have to go to in the military. And uh, he was in Thailand for a year during the Vietnam War. Um, and then, you know, me leaving home, uh, I, I left the country. I was living in Germany. I left the country. And I had, like, it was, we were able to call each other. But there was, there was a little bit of separation there. Um, I feel like growing up, I didn't develop roots, like people who live in the same community for their entire life. So currently, you know, my wife, she has lived in this town her entire life and it, it was just a different world to me. Um, I feel like coming home, home is where you're stationed, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you move around. And I think that has helped me develop a good sense of interacting with people and being flexible, but definitely a struggle when it comes to uh, long-term relationships and roots. So that's, that's something I've had to deal with over the years. My wife, uh, her parents were both in the Air Force, and they were just like you moving from place to place. And the one thing I find about when she talks about her childhood is she really only remembers the last base that they were stationed at. And because there's no like anchor points for the memories, everything kind of blurs together. Mm -hmm. If her parents don't have yeah, to repeat the memory very often, or she doesn't see it in a picture, then the memory really doesn't stay. And she remembers South Dakota, which was the last place they were stationed and that's really almost where almost all of her memories that she ever talks about come from. Yeah. I have a bunch of really uh, interesting stories that they're more humorous than my book. My book is a very serious topic you know, with, with a faith background and kind of a redemption story. But on my blog, I have a whole nother set of stories that I remember from all the different places I've lived of some very interesting situations I got myself into that were more humorous. So I, I do have a lot of good memories. Um, but definitely there's just no roots, you know, uh, as far as my own family that I, uh, cousins and all grandparents, it was just like random encounters and holidays and things like that. So it was really hard to develop a, a very deep relationship with people. And, and like I said, I still struggle with that today. I, I work on it as, you know, I've been married to my wife for 20 years. So we actually, we have an awesome 
relationship. And, um, but even with the students that I teach, they come in and out of my life one year at a time. So I think roots is something that military kids struggle with when it, when you talk about coming home, except home is just kind of where you, where you land or where, where you're moving to next. So if there's a listener out there, a dad who is currently in that mode of moving from base to base with their family, as an adult, looking back, what message would you send them to think about with their kids? being that kid that was that person going back. Is there anything you'd want to tell them? I think uh, being men are, I, and I'm just speaking for myself, but I feel like men have a hard time talking about their feelings. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I think military, we're programmed not to military. Feel, feel, yeah. Feel, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think just letting people know or in your family, like your children, your wife know that you love them um, constantly. is something that they're probably looking for. They're going to find it somewhere else. Um, in today's modern age, it is so much easier to stay connected though. Um, my brother is currently downrange um, in Afghanistan and we're able to communicate through Marco Polo, which is kind of like a social media app. Uh, I've talked to him on the phone on Facebook messenger. It's, it's, it's just a different world now than it was. I think when you and I were both in the military. Mm-hmm. And I served even just in, uh, in Okinawa from 2004 to 2007. And I remember when we got Vonage for the first time, it was life changing because we didn't have <laughs> right. cards anymore. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, right. all, there's no long distance anymore. It was hooray. It was over. I remember the phone booths and the phone cards, <laughs> like having to call Germany to talk to my parents was a pretty big challenge. Go ahead and dive into our, uh, take the listeners back to uh, your story a little bit back from the, it was the late eighties, right? It was the timeline. Yeah, uh, 1989 was, I joined the army in 1987. I was like, my father was in the military for years and he retired after 26 years. Um, And then he did like another 20 civil service. But, you know, I had a real rich military history with grandparents from World War II and, you know, got, you know, combat veterans and even my siblings were all in the military. Um, But so it's something I really wanted to do. And uh, so I joined the army with a lot of pride and uh, passion, but I had a life hiccup and not long after being, it was probably 18 months after being in the service, I, I ended up getting addicted to the drug ecstasy uh, through some encounters, and I detail it all in the book. Uh, so, you know, if anybody's interested, you can read it there. Uh, yeah, but I became so addicted. Book, like it's a day by day journal it's, almost. Yeah. And it, I wanted to take people through the process of how quickly you can go from really good uh, kid with an awesome, you know, background and family to like a disaster and like, a hot second. <laughs> yeah, with so, um, compass just going around in circles almost. Yeah, and once the drugs took over, I just lost all sense of um, reason or anything. My brain was just constantly being numbed. And, and so I, after taking the drugs and becoming addicted to them, I started actually selling them. So I, on active duty, I was, I was a drug dealer. Uh, and actually, you know, not long after selling the drugs, I was turned in by somebody. And so there was um, an attempt at, of capturing and arresting by the criminal investigation division of the army. Um, I actually did finally get arrested. And uh, they told me that if I would be an informant for them, that they would let me back to my barracks. And I was like, sure, no problem. But um, long story short, I just disappeared. I moved um, to Houston, Texas and deserted my unit, which Unfortunately, at the time, I didn't know they were being deployed to Panama, so I was charged with desertion and um, possession and distribution of drugs. So after about a six-month break from the military, uh, just running drugs back and forth between Texas and Louisiana, I ended up getting captured again, court-martialed, 
had my rank stripped from me. I had a dishonorable discharge issued to me. And then I had five-year prison sentence in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, which is the Army's um, version of a prison. Um, I did three years. And during that three-year period, I, I had an encounter with God that um, really got my attention. And I'd like to say I detail it all in the book, but there was a few moments um, throughout the time that I was incarcerated and and the time that I was running drugs that God really like jumped in and showed himself to me. Um, and it got my attention. So there's Could you describe one of those moments that, for us? Well, probably the most powerful was uh, during, I think it was, I had been clean for probably about a year and a half and I was working in the dining facility at Fort Leavenworth as a, as a cook. And I had a guy walk up to me and stick out his hand and I immediately recognized he had a, a hit of LSD and I took it. So he had one, I had one. And um, so I basically relapsed after about a year and a half of sobriety. And uh, I got back to my barracks that night. I'm not sure how we didn't get caught uh, because we were definitely uh, messed up. It's a good way to describe it. But get back to my barracks. uh, And on my desk was a letter from my father to my parole board because I was up for parole. And uh, there was this one letter I was waiting from. And I opened it up. And in the letter, it said um, that my father would stake his uh, reputation, his job, and his life on the fact that I would never do drugs again. This was the same day that I relapsed. And so I felt like God was reaching out to me and saying, look, you are, you're not hurting yourself. You're hurting everybody around you. Uh, this is not the life that I called for you. And at that moment, I swore off drugs and I've not done anything since. I would drink or done drugs uh, since that day. I can't remember the exact day it was, but so I just say it was around 1990. And that's how long I've been clean. It's uh, when the universe goes, gives us those signs and, uh, they're powerful because I've had a couple myself and you don't always know why they're coming and what, why they're happening, but making sure, and it's a good thing that you were at least um, semi recovered because you, you were, your mind was at least able to perceive what was going on. Had you fully right. relapsed over like a couple of weeks or even if that letter would have been a week later and you would have been doing it daily, then your brain might've actually not been able to, to see the light that you were trying, God was trying to show you. Correct. When you first got out of the out of Leavenworth, where, where, where did you go? Uh, well, my father was stationed in Omaha, Nebraska at Offutt Air Force Base, which is where we are now. Um, and so when I got out, I had to go somewhere. I actually took parole to get out early. And so I moved to Omaha and I worked and uh, worked a couple jobs. And then I went to cosmetology school, which was something I had always wanted to do. I kind of in high school in Germany got into the goth kind of new wave scene and really liked messing around with hair. So I thought, well, let's do this for a living. Um, I also used to be kind of a barracks barber. You know, you probably had a few of those. And uh, so I really had a passion for cutting hair. And so I went to cosmetology school. And then about uh, after my one-year program, I became an instructor as well. And so that's kind of, that's what I do now. I've been doing that um, since I graduated. So one question I'd like to ask all the guests is, I'm a big believer that kids spell love T-I-M-E throughout your kid's life, what are some simple ways that they remember the most that you connect with them in their world? Well, one of the things that we try and do is, is as a family, we are trying, trying to eat dinner together all together. It's a little bit more challenging now that my kids are a little bit older because they have a lot of different activities they're involved in with dance and uh, show choir and Girl Scouts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we do definitely try and sit around the dinner table and, and all hang out together as a family. And I think that's, that's important. Um, I, with my youngest, I, we do a devotion every morning, um, you know, like a little Bible story every, every morning. And uh, I know that my daughter's 
seem to love it most when I listen to them and actually hear them because you know I can tune out real fast. You know, just, I get distracted, squirrel to the left, squirrel to the right. <laughs> um, but when I'm actually engaged in listening and, and hear them, I think they feel the most love. Have you struggled having daughters connecting into their world as teenagers? I know that can be something that I'm not looking forward to, but I I hear about it that as your your daughter's world evolves and as they get their own life and they get their own drama, like dads don't know anything about it. What were some things that you had to face through that? Well, I can tell you that I've had uh, over 20 years of experience dealing with uh, 18 and 19 year old girls because of the job I do. Being a cosmetology instructor, <laughs> all I am is around women. I'm actually really awkward around males. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I understand them. However, you know, I used to grill these students like, hey, what's your relationship with your father like? You know, I, I was doing research, parenting research. Uh, and no matter how many times, I felt like I had all the knowledge and all the uh, pieces put together. My kids will throw me for a loop every time because they're so different. You know, everybody's unique. But I luckily, and I'm blessed, uh, my wife is awesome. And our kids, she's so active in their life. And they, uh, they're just great kids. I haven't really had any major issues at all. And, and another thing, uh, like I said before, the real is better than perfect situation. Uh, they all know my story. Both of my older two daughters uh, here at home have read my book. And my youngest is still a little young for some of the material, so I'm waiting on that. Um, but they they know they don't want to do the things that their dad did, and they realize the consequences that are there. So it's been really cool being open with them about my past and my scars. And um, I think that's that's probably helped them understand that there are consequences in life that are not worth taking you know taking the risk for. Not having the past that you have, but I've. I feel like this thought happens that if with with a past like yours and becoming a dad, did you have a pile of fear that you were that part of your life was going to be repeating with your kids because of what happened in the past, or did you already move past and like you had kind of maybe owned your past that it wasn't going to be something that defined you in the future and your kids weren't going to be drug addicts just because you were and or is that something you didn't deal with? Um, well, I feel like. Uh we're really open with them about things. And so I, I think, and I've heard uh, that that's been a little bit, you know, you have people that will shelter the children to the point where they don't know anything that's going on in the world. And so the first thing you do when they go out there is try it all. So um, I think we were, we've just been pretty open with them about what we expect from them and, and what are the consequences. And I think talking about consequences and uh, what's out there has really been made it easier to be a parent. And I think, uh, and I, have, I owe that a lot to my wife as well, because I think I would be more prone to try and protect them to the point where you're sheltering them too much. So I wasn't really worried about that as much. And I, and like I said, just being open, I think helped a lot. So I, I'm not too worried. Still got one that's pretty young, but uh, you know, I think being he's our wildest is child. The, <laughs> is the key where, I think it's often similar with uh, with handguns that I think as parents, you can have your opinion about guns, but having a, keep them, keeping them a mystery is often part of the problem that as a parent, mm -hmm. even just making sure everything is not a mystery, whether it be porn, sex, drugs, weapons, demystifying it is something that I think all parents have an obligation to do and either telling them about guns or when they get older, either going to a firing range so that they know what that feels like. They understand what it can do. They understand the consequences. Like you say, that I think that your mindset was the aired on the right one where, um, 
being open about what's out there in the world. You can have your views, you can have your opinion, you can have your values that guide you through it, but ignoring that it's not there isn't going to help because they're going to run into it and they're going to not even know what to do and they're going to blue screen of death inside their head and end up going in places you didn't want them to and and you're going to try to figure out to get them back. Yeah, and I think uh, it's they've been really open with us and I, I don't want to be naive and say that my parents are, or my parents, my children are not going to make mistakes or, or do things that we probably don't approve of. However, they know for a fact that they can come to us no matter what. And I think that's something we've also instilled in them. We don't care what's going on. We, you know, we'll deal with that later, but we want to make sure you're safe. You're okay. Um, and so they've always been, I mean, this is just a silly story, but uh, my daughter, uh, my 16 year old a few years ago was over at her friend's house. And uh, she wanted to watch 21 Jump Street because all the other kids were watching it. So my wife's like, hey, this is what's in that movie. And she's like, never mind, I don't want to watch it. Um, but she called us to ask for permission, which we, is not normal. You know, most of the time kids yeah. do stuff and then at, and ask for forgiveness. Or later, but, um, luckily, they walk around the house awkward because they're trying to hide something, but you can tell that something's off. Yeah, right. So I like that. This next question, I think will tie in good. What do you want your daughters to remember about you when they're 30 if they're talking to their friends at a bar what would you think that they would say about their dad uh, i think the main thing they would probably say is that their father would work to death for them i would you know i tried to provide a life for them um that they've had experiences and choices and and things like that um and also that i love them no matter what because um, i've tried to tell them that um since they were little and i, I think they that they would do that, but they would also say that I'm not afraid to talk about my past and uh, like I said, my scars and everything. And it's cool when they, their friends come over and they're like, Oh yeah, you're, you're the dad that wrote the book about his past and stuff. And so like, it's not something I, my past isn't something I'm proud of, and I'm just glad that people are able to use it um, to, to find help or, you know, make you their running, You run into people that are maybe like almost look, look down to you because of your past, like that they can't see past it. I have only had one person um, and it was a really good experience. It was actually in a Facebook group from my high school in Germany. And this person, obviously there's a lot of veterans because that was my biggest fear actually was veterans looking down on me because I have a dishonorable discharge for deserting. And that's like probably the worst thing you can do as a soldier. Um, but uh, this one guy was just like kind of berating me a little bit. And everybody was jumping on this guy uh, on Facebook like they do normally with social media. And I was like, Hey, you guys back off. The guy has his right to his opinion. And I'm totally fine with that. We ended up having a really good conversation at the end. And I tried to send him a copy of my book, but he wouldn't take it. <laughs> I was like, I'll send you a free copy really just for your honorable service. And I appreciate everything you've done for me uh, with your honorable service, providing the freedoms that I have, even though I, you know, screwed that up. And I just tried to, you know, give grace and uh, I'm not worried about it. I know who I am and I know God who says I am. And I got the family support behind me and they love me no matter what. So yeah, just the one Facebook guy so far have you ever had any reconciliation or not real reconciliation but long talk with your dad about after the getting out of jail and going through everything of what was going through his mind or anything like that yeah because uh in the book i detail some of the stuff he told me that i wasn't aware of um like after the trial and he was broke down in the in the elevator at the hotel uh, having to watch his son being court-martialed and unfortunately i had to request his attendance because he would be a good character witness for me. So he had to get orders from his commander uh, in order to go to his son's court martial, which probably was very embarrassing for him, but he did it anyways, because he's, he's just like that. So, 
Um, but before I wrote the book, I actually tried to contact everybody from my past. I thankfully Facebook exists because I was able to contact most people. And say, hey, I'm writing a story. This is our story. Um, I'm going to be dragging my family through this mess again, and everybody was totally on board. Um, and the benefit has been that a lot of people uh, have received this book either through somebody, you know, buying it for them or me shipping them into uh, prisons and inmates and people who um, have requested copies of it for their family members who are struggling with addiction or currently behind bars. Um, and that's, that's my goal is, you know, it, with some of the proceeds, I'm able to send books to people who really need to hear the message that your past doesn't have to define you. And I'm sure you probably put this together, but the love that your dad showed you through one of your worst times in your life that's a little bit of how you described your love for your daughters that you set that same example that your dad was there for you and through the worst that you can imagine in, in your case. And you, hopefully you never go that low with your daughters, but you're the same, same idea that no matter what your daughters do, whatever happens, I'll always be there to support you. I'll always be there to, and I won't be able to get you ever out of everything, but I'll always be there to listen. And so much I think of life in 2019 is just having that person to listen which isn't something that our society encourages. It's, it's almost like you got to keep it in, especially for men and especially for veterans that you aren't allowed to have a, a thought outside of your head. You don't necessarily have a tribe of men surrounding you to, to talk to, to listen to. And that is a lot of where I think we get into trouble where that voice inside your head becomes that echo chamber of where it's the only voice you can hear because it's so loud because it's echoing in your walls. And you eventually realize that your your family would be better without you. Yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who come to the negative thoughts, and it's a shame. It's a very sad. And I think even just through talking in this podcast and telling stories and hearing your story, that so much, so much of what our past is, we we try to keep it in the shadows because Facebook says you should have a perfect life, and but that shadows can only hold so much. And once you bring it into light, like you've learned, like you, you could, you could be worried about what people are saying and judging you. But then once you tell your story, once you go first, the world responds in a way that very few people ever get to see that haven't written a book like yours, that everybody has some story that can relate to yours, either a family member, or maybe they were that person that, but you told you going first made it okay for them to talk about theirs. Right. I think I heard um, Andy Andrews say that you're either coming out of a disaster, in a disaster, or headed for a disaster. Like there's something going on, you know, and you never know where people are at in their stages. So yeah, being being outspoken and, and telling people it's okay to have uh, issues and situations and troubles and uh, just find somebody to talk to you about it or find a mentor like you, were, uh, you said on I often hear, some of your podcast. Uh, when, you, when you see someone, always treat them with kindness because you never know what it took them to get out of the bed and put clothes on that day. Yeah, true. You know, exactly. How much energy it actually took them to get to that point where they are at. Even if they looked normal, that could have been like everything they had to get out of bed and put clothes on. Yes, exactly. What do you think the scariest moment as the dad has been so far for you? Um, let's see. Scariest moment. I would think, uh, so I struggle with trying to be in control all the time. I think that um, I need to have control and like when my children were born um you have little there was control no control you're just observing yeah no control thing. yeah and all the way up today 
so my biggest thing is I don't want to fail my kids. I don't want to fail them. I don't want them to look back and go, me and my dad would like, didn't do, he just wasn't there for me or he, he failed. So I think, I think the fear of failing them would be uh, the scariest part. And just knowing that I have no control uh, over them. Now I don't want to control them. And I know that that would be bad, but I, I just, you know, you have expectations for your, for yourself, for your, for your marriage, for your kids, and, and you want things to turn out a certain way. And there's just a lot of life hiccups that can happen. And I guess it's just being prepared is the best thing. And then, like I said before, just love you no matter what. So, Where do you think the control part comes from? Is it uh, you just want to keep them safe? Or is it something that as it, it's come like about as you became a dad that you wanted to control in your life? No, I, I think uh, I have a do-it-yourself or isn't going to get done mentality. Uh, also, I grew up in a military household, you know, and then, you know, even being in prison, I, all my decisions were made for me. It's just a very controlled environment. So I feel like when things are out of control or chaotic, I, I don't know how to handle it. So I guess it's something I struggle with. And, and in my faith, uh, being dependent and uh, surrendering everything to God is, is, is hard for me because I feel, you know, they say, trust God for everything. But I know that if I don't get up out of bed and go to work, there's going to be no money, and no food. So there's a fine line between doing something to make it happen and then relying on God to take care of it. And so I, that's where my struggle is basically. Another way I've often heard it put that uh, God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. And so you do what you can handle and he'll handle the rest. And you just have to have faith that whatever you feel like you're overwhelmed with, just let it go. Cause then that means that you, you can't care. You, you're carrying as much as you can today. And I often think that's what uh, the best part about being in a tribe of any tribe that you have where you can talk about things that you're not meant to carry everything in life on your own. And there's days where you need other people to carry things and you need to be other. There's days where you need to tell someone the story that happened to you that day, because then it makes it that much lighter on your heart to carry it around with you. And sometimes you just need to let it go and put it in God's hands that you're not meant to carry everything throughout your day. And right. So much of the society where we have this mental mentality of being alone, quiet desperation as men and dads, it just doesn't work towards being open and letting go. I mean, dads these days are, we're, we're supposed to keep it all together. We're supposed to provide for the family, keep everything going, be the strong man, don't have emotions, don't cry. And there's only so much we can do. And we are emotional beings. And to deny that just makes it even harder on ourselves to carry all that burden. And it's just, we get so heavy inside our hearts. And sometimes we can't even receive love anymore because we've just been cut off from it. Right. Yeah, I agree. What do you want the family legacy of the David Mikes to be? Um, I think for my family, I would love for people to say that they loved others unconditionally. You know, and that would be something I would want my kids to um, remember and to do every day so that, you know, when, when they think of us, they think of love and it because God is love and God and God lives in us. And we, should show that to other people. Is there anything that you've done as a parent to help them be put in situations where they do need to look past the situation inside the person? Well, I just being in today's society, you know, we're, we're, uh, we go to public school. My kids go to public school. So I mean, just in that environment alone, there's every type of yeah. uh, person that you can run into. So yeah, um, that's, that's probably just living life and uh, living life intentionally. We don't have a lot of them, but I've been th thinking with, with my own kids of just bringing them to even just like a homeless shelter or some type of meal on a holiday where there's where you can volunteer and just 
see the opposite spectrum of your life that you can come home to this life, but there's other people that are in a completely different world and mindset and they need love just as much as anybody else does these days. Yeah, that's true. We're all valuable. Yeah. When you think of your story and where you found God and made that pivot to where you are today, and I don't know the answer to this question and I'm not even sure if there is one, but do you, when, if you were to send a message out there to another dad struggling, do you think it's come, when, it, when you're in that mode of drug addiction that you have to find your bottom before you can come back? Or do you feel that there's a different process that is out there if people find it? Or if there, is there, I'm not even sure if I'm asking the question the right way, but did you feel like you needed to hit rock bottom in the way that you did in order for you to pivot out of it, I guess is another way to say it? Um. It's different for everybody. And I think that bottom, sometimes the bottom is death. So that is a scary place to look for. Um, you know, and some people say, oh, I'll quit because I'm, I know I can anytime, but I mean, too many people lose that battle. So I think rock bottom is a scary, like I said, it's a scary place to, to look for. Um, I just think, and I know that you can't change people. So this is the other thing that I struggle with uh, when I first started telling my story. I'm like, why don't people get it? Here's my story they should not do what I did, but I realized that there's timing and it's either God's timing, uh, which pretty much runs the universe. Right. But, uh, somebody has to want it. So if they you don't want it, you can't change somebody's well. mind. Yeah. No, I mean, you can be there for them a thousand times, but until they finally have that flip switched in their own mind that I don't want to do this anymore, or I, I want to come out of this or whatever it is that you're struggling with. When you finally reach out for help, then, you know, and it, then you will go to the person who's always been there. So I think that's the key is, like you were saying before, you got to have a community of people that um, you can trust. So, Did you feel any of your pivot was related to the environment change of Leavenworth versus being out there in Louisiana and Houston? Uh, meaning like uh, being in confinement helped me confinement, like, gather my thoughts. Being and, in a different area, more getting maybe back to control, it's more structured in, in prison. I think when I first, was confined. No, I was still kind of not right. It took me a while. There was like, I said, there was a few pivotal moments that had to happen in order for me to finally realize I needed to make some adjustments in life. And I will have to chalk it up to maturity. You know, I joined the army at 17 and uh, that's good for some people, but it was definitely not good for me. Um, I probably need a little bit more structure, a little bit more discipline um, and a lot more maturity. Um, and it actually took me 20 years to mature to the point where I could handle the gravity of this message and actually put it in a book. Because I think if I wrote it 10 years ago, it probably wouldn't have meant as much. And I probably wouldn't have been able to handle it. Like I'm able to handle it now. And through, through time, the one thing you, you, you can gain more is perspective that a mm -hmm. lot of crap can happen in a life and you often have no idea why it's happening. Then you can look back 10 years and be like, that had to happen for, for the dominoes to end up where I'm at today. So you, you, you got perspective on that life of how that shaped you as a dad to raise your daughters and how that shaped your decisions. And now you add that wisdom to your book and makes it that much stronger. And Yes, exactly. I, I would say that was the case. What do you think the biggest difference, and this question, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to set it up for you. What's the difference between the dad you are when you first started as a dad and the dad you are today? Let's frame it that way. Um, as a dad starting out, I think I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, I think it was something that me and my wife grew in together. She wanted to be a mom so bad when we got married. She just, 
she loves children. She's actually the children's ministry director at her church because she loves children so much. Um, and me, I knew it was something that would happen, you know, when we got married, but I, you know, wasn't like I had this strong desire to be a dad, uh, just would be the, the natural chain of events. Um, but you know, being responsible for this little life and, uh, just watching them grow up and see how awesome my children have turned out. Uh, I'm just proud and I'm, I fail, you know, daily, <laughs> you know, whether I scream at, at, uh, when I'm frustrated or, you know, I'm maybe get get frustrated too quickly because my temper can can uh, fire up pretty fast uh but i know that they know that i love them and uh and i'm super proud of them because they're just great people my, my children are great people i don't know if that answered your question but that's kind of where i ended up <laughs> it's fine it's good it's a good answer this is a good question i think your perspective on it would be interesting when you, when if a dad's looking to come home to their marriage from any stage maybe they are completely disconnected. Maybe they are a drug addict and they're somehow hiding it through their life right now. If they want to come home to their marriage, what what message would you send to them? Or what message do you want to share with them to hit them in the moment maybe that this is the one where they feel they need to pivot? Well, if you're in an addiction situation, drugs or, or anything like that, I think the biggest thing is like you got to seek out help and you've got to want it. Um, and realizing that, that what you're doing is affecting other people uh, the people that you love and their addiction is a, it's a sickness that nobody can cure. Um, you have to seek it out yourself. Like nobody can cure it for you. And I just, it's just, it's awful. Um, but that's just as a, in a marriage situation, and this is something that I have to work on constantly. Um, I think you have to read marriage books and you have to find married couples that uh, you look up to that are still together after years and years of being together that still love each other. Um, you have to intentionally pursue your wife every day. Um, she needs to know that you find her beautiful and that you love her constantly because you, you never can say that or do that enough. And you can usually tell when you're not doing it because things get rocky, you know, um, and it, it's different for men. Men just really want to be respected and feel that respect where women need to know that they're loved like, constantly. Um, I read uh, a book called Love and Respect and then a set of books called For Men Only and For Women Only, which were really beneficial for me to kind of understand my wife and, and who she is as a, as a female and as a woman and as a wife, and as a mother versus just like a partner. Um, but she will probably tell you, I still need work. The never ending, the never ending, uh, but awesome and rewarding role as being a husband and a father. And I think the one thing that the mistake that we make in marriage in general is that somehow we already have been conditioned all of our life that we have to go through some type of school class to learn something. Very few things in life are you just gifted with the knowledge to understand how it works. Maybe eating, showering, cleanliness, those are things that your brain just kind of figures out. But marriage is something we just assume we will walk into it and automatically know how to do it. But it's the same idea. You can't just wake up one day and do it. You've got to work at it. You got to train for it and grow together. Yeah, and I think with steps. the divorce rate being about 50% uh, in North America, then half of us are doing it wrong. And then in the 50% that are together, there's, you know, what is the percentage that's actually working right, you know? So it's, I heard it was, I just a, heard it in a podcast, 17% are actually what they would that is as uh, extraordinary marriages where they're working, they're growing, they're happy. That's scary. It's a scary figure. <laughs> so the rest of that other percentage is just people that are just willing to be miserable and be okay with it. Yes. That is not good. Those are people getting swearing at the Walmart people at the checkout line because they're just 
taking out on others <laughs> that are miserable in life. Right. What is a resource or a book you would recommend to other military veteran dads and why? Uh, well, just as a, as being a uh, father in that aspect, I would say strong father, strong daughter, um, or that. strong fathers, strong daughters by Meg Meeker. Uh, that's a great book. Um, it's a little bit older book, but it's still relevant. Um, and I do have a version for sons as well uh, that she wrote afterwards, but I thought that book was really good. So I would say that would be a, a good one. Um, uh, my favorite book of all time is uh, Unbroken, which is Louis Amperini's story, which has nothing to do with being a father. And nothing to do with uh, being uh, a husband, but it has more to do with your life is, does not suck as bad as you think it does. Because, man, that guy yeah, went through so much. And every time I, I like reading stories about people who come overcome great odds and obstacles because it just helps me realize where I am and that I've got it way better than I think I do most of the time. So I got to ask in the Strong Father, Strong Daughter book, because that book scared the hell out of me. Because uh, mm-hmm. like the first... 75% of it is just like the, what the world you're Statistics. facing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what part resonated with you the most? So she was telling a story about, uh, I think, I don't know if it was her or, or it was somebody, one of her cases where the father like went into a nightclub, grabbed her daughter and was like coming home with me uh, because she was in a bad place. But it was like just being present and letting them know, like, I will do anything to save you and protect you and keep you safe. The story that resonated with me is the one where the daughter was being bullied by the teacher and the father took it upon himself to essentially mentor her through those days instead of trying to remove her from the classroom, which is what her, her, her mom wanted to do. That so much of our role as a father to our daughters is to be that lighthouse through the world that they're trying to enter and figure out who they are. And couple other key messages that I take away from the book is just reminding them they're good enough, they're beautiful, and that I love them. And I constantly give them hugs because I don't want them to go out into the world and seek something that they were lacking from me. And I know that that by not having that, that is going to perpetually make them make more left turns than they need to in life. And I just want to be that Anchor. Even just every night, we talk about what happened at school when we go to bed and working it through. There's a book that we read called Someday a Bird Will Poop on You. And so <laughs> we, 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 we call this talk bird poop talk. So I ask her, who pooped on you today? Because then we try to talk like, was that how you should have reacted? Did you respond or did you react? And a bird will poop on you for the rest of your life. And you got to figure out how you respond to it. And just constantly working her through those those situations, I think. Or is what, what I took away from that book is just that the role that we play in our daughter's lives is so impactful. Even part of this mission of why I started it, that as fathers, we have the ability to shape this world in a way that very few people have. That we talk about masculinity or toxic masculinity and all that stuff that's going on today, Me Too, all of that stuff, that fathers have a role to play in shaping the next dialogue and changing the next generation of women and especially military veteran fathers that we just have a perspective of a wide variety of melting pot. We know where lots of things happen. We've seen a lot of stuff happen and we just have a, a good way of being able to articulate that to our daughters and help them lead them through life and what we learned and what we don't want them to do. And it's just made me step up to my role and hopefully help other military veteran dads step up to the role as we start sharing stories and, continue the podcast journey. Yeah, I might have to get a copy of that book. Which book? The the 
the bird that will poop on you book. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. Like, I haven't wrote a book about this yet. Uh, but yeah, that, no. it's a little small <laughs> book. It's not big, but uh, it's a real good. It's just, it's probably, it's maybe written for a little bit older kids. Cause some of the examples are ones they might not understand, but it resonates in a way that uh, she understands and she gets upset if we don't talk about bird poop. So yeah, that seems like a good uh, nightly routine. Yeah. What's a parting piece of advice you would like to leave for other military veteran dads? Um, I would say, please seek out community. Like we're talking about mentorship and everything, but community big time. Um, I have the support of my family, which is awesome, but I've not, I would not been able to do the things I've done over the past five years with my book and my blogging and writing and all that without the power of community uh, because of the support and encouragement from other people. Uh, some of the Facebook groups I'm in uh, are people that I've not ever met in person, but have played a huge role and an impact in me being able to get my story out there to the world. Um, so community is huge. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, there's 2d and 3d, you know, 2d is like uh, people, you know, but have never met in person and 3d would be somebody you've met in person. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be a 2d relationship that, uh, can get you, uh, where you need to be. I feel like the 2d ones for at least my story, 2d helped get me to where I was. But the part about 2d is it's still not real. And the, you still have that gap inside yourself that you need that 3D connection. So you can kind of train in 2D, but it's extremely important to seek out that. And that's what I'm currently doing right now here in my local town of just connecting and just having lunch, coffee, but anything that anybody, a dad that's willing to hang out, I'm stepping up and just trying to make one connection at a time. And I feel a lot fuller after I've done that connection more than 2D because it, it's good, but then it, it doesn't always last. And you need that physical tribe because as we learned, Facebook can go down for a day and you're going to need to have real people in life. Yeah. To do that. <laughs> Facebook might not yeah, be there one true. day and you're real. And then you're going right. to be addicted. Whereas like, Oh my God, I don't know how to talk to people in real life. And I need yeah. to talk to someone. <laughs> Facebook's down. What am I going to do? Right. That is true. Well, I've absolutely loved this conversation, David. And we went into places that we have not gone into this on the podcast so far. And I think this is an area that didn't affect me in my life, but I know it affects others and many of, many others in their life many stories for military begin with a prior past of drug addiction so and that worry of relapse and so i know we definitely connected with a lot of military dads today if any dads want to get connected with you what's the best way to find you um well on facebook just kidding <laughs> we just talked about that but i actually on facebook um i use the handle dilemma mike on all my social media it's a d-i-l-e-m-m-a M-I-K-E. So people have a hard time spelling dilemma for some reason. But um, my blog is dilemmamike.com. All my social media is there. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me pretty much. If you Google David, David Mike, I, I pop up because of my blogs and stuff. So um, yeah, that would probably be the easiest way to do my social media. And I'll go ahead and put those links in the show notes for anybody who wanted to, to, a quicker way to find them. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. David, well, thank you for coming on the show and uh, well, hopefully bring some dads home with this message. Awesome. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.